wherever you are, and welcome to On The Record, Off The Cuff album reviews. This evening, we're down to a, a bite-sized podcast, as it's just Ian and myself, due to scheduling and, and preferences of what people want to have a go at. So this should be uh, nice and interesting. It's very interesting, because having listened to lots of podcasts and a couple of favourites, um, ones starting this one. There are a lot of duos out there who do it very, very well. So hopefully uh, we won't let them down <laughs> in a brotherly <laughs> way. We're not going to let anybody down. So yes, uh, say good evening, Ian. Good evening. Oh, I thought you were going to say good evening, Ian, then. No, that's Martin's joke. Ah, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. I'll cross them. You don't have a minute. It's all good. <laughs> anyway, this evening's album, which has, which Ian, Ian called out, I think fits rather well with a few that we've done recently, is Extremes Pornography which is another one of those albums which is kind of rock, metalish based, but certainly has a lot more going for it and lots of different flavours, especially when you contextualise it from in terms of when it came out and what, what else of that ilk was around at the time. A time when a lot of things were changing. So this, this album's quite an interesting one to do, I think, from this perspective. Um, oh, the other thing I've realised as well, because um, as we listen to this, down the line on winter evenings we won't remember just how hot it actually was today. So I, can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't put my bloody fan on because it'll, it'll be all over the microphone which, so yeah if i pass out don't don't worry you can sort it out in the edit it's all good but we're just sitting here in our speedos with our feet in a bowl of water <laughs> what what a great thought that is what a great <laughs> thought that is absolutely so pornography do, do you do you want to open in yeah. After. yeah, sure. So, Pornography or Extreme 2 Pornography, to give it its right. full title, is Extreme's second album, which was released in the summer of 1990. And it's a strange one because it became a massive album for the band, where the first album didn't really trouble the charts, and the, the one that came after, although had some attention never quite uh, reached the heights heights of this one. And we'll get on to two of the reasons why <laughs> this album was so big uh, later on. And they're, they're the same reason twice, um, I would say. But it's, as you alluded to before, it's the timing of this one, which I think makes it particularly interesting sitting in and amongst the albums we've discussed recently. And I think if we look at the trio of The Real Thing by Faith No More, Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction, and uh, Nevermind, we've got something happening in this album which kind of touches all of those. And it's definitely of the time, although like those three albums not sounding anything like each other, this doesn't sound like any of those three albums either. But it's all it's all part. And just to uh, outline, because, because Paddy, I'm sure you'll talk about this at length as we get into it, really extreme are based around a standard four-piece rock band but what sets them apart is the superb musicianship most obviously evident in Nuno Betancourt the guitarist and he's the guitarist that often gets lumped in with your kind of Steve Vai and Ingwe Malmsteen and what have you just because of his sheer uh, virtuoso abilities but I think unlike those guys what he really has is a composer's ear and that becomes very evident as you start looking at the body of work and how much variety there is 
so so this this album is really a you could you could be unfair and you could say it is a an ode to the pinch harmonic um it sounds <laughs> it sounds like this a lot <laughs> all over the place um which is part of uh, Nuno Bettencourt's guitar style um he'll throw those in where where wherever possible um but actually that's that's a surface kind of thing it there's a lot more lot more involved than that um and actually, I came across this album. I'd, I'd never heard the the album before. That was um, going to be my that was going to be my my question when you paused. It was, it was <laughs> when did when did you hear it first? Well, that, that uh, so I used to to write for a uh, a fanzine in the late eighties, early nineties, and in those days, you used to write to all the record companies and send them a copy of your fanzine, and they would send you pre release copies of all of their record albums and singles and 12-inch singles for people to review. And we got hold of Extreme 2 Pornography actually on cassette off of the desk in the studio. And it was the loudest thing I've ever heard. I mean, seriously, you, you, you put the cassette in the deck and it was twice as loud as a commercial cassette i don't know how they how they did it but they uh this obviously it was before they'd pressed anything up we got we got hold of it and i just couldn't believe it i put it on it starts uh with uh, a soundscape uh so you've got you know kind of weather n- noises and a, a storm and then you've got this kind of in- industrial pipe clanging <laughs> kind of thing and then it then it gets all musical and it's fantastic from be- beginning to end uh, so that's my story and how I how I came to uh, uh, to get hold of it. How did you come to it? As I was listening to it, because it struck me again, it's it's, it's an album. I don't listen to it, you know, every week. Perhaps not once a month or anything, but I certainly know it very well, and and it's been enjoyable listening back. But I, as soon as I started listening, I was like, how, how do I piece this into the sort of history of when I did hear things when? When did this come about? Because as you've alluded to earlier, it, it, it was such an interesting time. And I think the answer to that is get the funk as a single, I suspect. Mm-hmm. I saw on Headbangers Ball or something like that. Yeah. Back in the day. The other the other the other all encompassing point which we will leave to track five when we eventually get to it about <laughs> sort of what's going on here and, and what happened and why it happened. Yeah. It is is one thing. So the first thing I heard was as I say, get the funk out. And I, from a guitarist perspective, when you hear this, I'm, I'm trying to in sort of in real time qualify what I'm wanting to say. And I think I'm right in saying, I'd, I'd never really heard anybody like Nuno mm-hmm. from a playing point of view, the way that he played, the amount of different things that he did. And I think you are absolutely spot on with, to underline the point that Nuno knew how to be a part of the whole, as well as having the ability to shred it ridiculously. Um, and I think that comes across so strongly on this album. And to a degree, the first album, which I also have a real soft spot for. Shout out to uh, Play With Me and Bill and Ted. And, uh, uh, exactly, yes. Yeah, and, and the opening track, uh, Little Girls. Uh, absolutely superb riff and so on and so forth. And the very, very sugar mama don't want to go to school today, which I still think is a really good track. But this album was very much that squared, 
that with lots of thought gone on, lots of live playing, and oomph, you've got this incredibly technical, well-written album. Uh, but my way in was, I'm 99% sure, was Get the Funk Out. I remember seeing Nuno jumping about and thinking, oh, what a bastard, because on two, two levels, he's a good-looking lad, and he plays, it's strung so low with dreadful technique, like you're not allowed <laughs> to do. You, you know, you should have your, your guitar right up there so you can get your uh, wrist round. And this guy's just shredding fluidly. And having seen him do it live, he actually yeah. does do it live. And it was like, oh, that is so unfair. It's ridiculous. This guy's like a, a, a mutant guitar player. How dare he? And, um, and yeah, get the funk out anyway. And the other, the other little thing as well, we'll come on to tracks, obviously. Uh, there was a little bit of brass in there. Yes. Uh, and, and I'm not a sort of alien to brass with other tastes that I have, which I thought that was quite nice. So, yeah, it was kind of apparent straight away. There was something a little bit um, jumping out of the crowd here, something a bit different. Um, there were a lot of things going on in music, but this still managed to stand out and still managed to be something very much on its own. And I also like good production. I'm not scared of... You know, an album doesn't have to be raucous and raw for me. I like them when they are, if they, you know, as long as they're written well and they have good tunes on. The other side of that is I do like um, I do like a bit of solid production and polish from time to time. And again, this is an album that you know has that too. Oh, it most certainly has a production edge. Uh, we probably should just contextualise the album, kind of describe it in terms of probably where the where the music industry thought extreme were and what they what they were about and. It's a bit of an unfortunate one here. They were, they had one accidental foot in the tail end of the hair metal scene, but really they came out at the time where, and I think we mentioned this when we talked about Faith No More, people were desperately trying to describe a slightly more alternative take on that straight ahead hard rock kind of thing. And Extreme were one of those bands that the term funk metal got applied to very early on and so they're in that that kind of camp now unlike some of the other bands that get called funk metal extreme did actually have some tracks which are absolutely funk funk metal there's no no denying they've they've got um good funk uh, chops and they've taken them into the the kind of uh, harder uh, harder direction so that's quite accurate but i think a lot of people would have still seen them because they were good looking boys with uh, long hair probably put them in the hair metal kind of category to a certain extent just because that was what was contemporary and their first album didn't really do a huge amount of business but it did enough i think for the record company to give them a chance on the second album and they obviously really went for it. Like you've mentioned the production, the production side of things has obviously had a huge amount of attention. The composition of everything, uh, there's nothing being slapped together in this. So this is really is, I think, a band, and a, especially the, the two key songwriters, really probably think, right, this might be our last chance. We're going to make this our absolute <laughs> best we can do. To the extent that they did the unforgivable in a kind of pop metal rock type thing at the time. And they said, right, it's a concept album. <laughs> and, so, and so they wrote to a theme. So although there are some, some similarities with a lot of the good time rock and roll kind of heavy rock, this is an album that's got something to say. It's not 
all you know girls and booze and bikes uh, as we as we've mentioned before and i think it shares that with uh with faith no more there there is a there's an edge there's an intelligence to to the lyrics and what and what they're trying to say about things definitely i and this idea of them being a little sort of unique at the time which and the time itself was a big mixing pot it would things were starting to take off in terms of um the visibility of alternate sounds uh the only thing i can think of that was the only band i can think of that was arguably similar would be the Chili Peppers with Hillel Slovak and stuff like the first album, Freaky Styley, Uplift, because they, he, his, his style of playing was funky but distorted. Now he wasn't the sort of shredding impresario that I think Nuno was. That, but literally, that's the only thing that comes into my mind. Um, I think I, something I th- that might have preceded it slightly. Yeah, but, you know, and I, I think you could probably look in the direction of Living Colour and the Dan Reed Network for some similar tones in some of the funky metal things. But they were the bands that were that were actual funk metal, as opposed well, to. Well, I'm being uh, I'm being a bit rubbish there because I can't remember the dates of the better known. Was it Vivid? I can't remember that. Uh, Vivid was that their, their big one because that had the yeah, big yeah. single on for, for Living Colour. And uh, the Dan Reed Network, I'm just going to... Um, yeah, no, no, no. Written go there. for it, go for it. Again, unique though. Unique. Yeah, I think yeah ab- there absolutely. Wasn't, there wasn't tons around at the time. So yeah, I, and again, like you've alluded to, I, I, it's hard for me not to no-no to death a little bit with this. But that said, <laughs> there were other things going on. And in, in all good... Funky bands, um, you need a good solid rhythm section, which they certainly have. And when you're doing all the unison runs and hits and stabs that are, um, you know, all the instruments together uh, syncopated with the drums, you've got a lot of that going on. So you've got a bass player who can manage to pull this stuff yeah. off as well. So, oh, it, it's uh, it's absolutely incredible. it's absolutely incredible. a band. Yeah, it's not yeah. it's not. Uh, a virtuoso guitarist and some people along for the ride. I mean, yeah. the vocals are fantastic. The bass player is uh, the uh, the bass playing is absolutely solid. And like you say, uh, it runs that are mirroring the the guitar licks, and the drummer is solid as anything with a really nice swing to it all. And Gary Sharon, I always found myself saying interesting vocalist. I don't know if this is because I'm a guitarist. I don't know. This is a weird. I've got a weird thing with Gary Sharon. There is an aspect of his voice winds me up a little bit and I don't I don't find I don't know I don't know quite how to how to say it it doesn't appeal to me completely but the thing I do like about him is he seems to punch exactly the right points that complement how he sings and the style of his voice I know that's a little bit loose and and a little bit undefined but I know what I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's an interesting vocalist. It's Gary Sharon. There's, um, there is there is one particular track on this album, and I'm like, oh man, if the, if they only did that because your voice suits it, that was a damn good choice to make and an excellent thing to do. But again, we will we'll come come onto that down the road. So yeah, do you want to? Shall we kick off with Decadence Dance then, Ian? Yeah, let's get into the tracks, and uh, as we go through, I'll do Martin's job and tell you which one of them sound like the damned or Gary Moore. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Martin. We're missing you, buddy. We're we miss you. you. We miss you, Martin. Okay, so yeah, so decadence uh, uh, dance. Uh, we kick off with. Well, we don't immediately kick off because we start with our soundscape. Uh, so we start with um, uh, thunderclaps and pouring rain and this something that conjures up some kind of 
industrial landscape with uh, machine noises and things uh, and things going and out of that we, we get uh, suddenly this kind of guitar well, it's not even a riff at that point it's kind of licks that that kind of lead into it that then becomes a, a riff and the music kicks on and it's a hell of an in- intro i mean we've said about a lot of the albums that we've reviewed yes uh, the opening track is kind of there was the manifesto for the album and you know we all understand that bands do that on purpose it's no accident <laughs> accident and it's it's almost the way you put an album together uh, and this you know does does exactly that it goes right here's what we can do let's let let's let's show our wares and it gets and right sung. into it Abs- <laughs> absolutely absolutely and so we start off with a lot of riffing a guitar, doing things that you've not heard a guitar really do before, with the uh, the bass and drums um, kind of backing that all up. And then what you get, and this is uh, stylistic of a lot of the songs on, uh, on the album, is uh, although Nuno can play very, very fast, and he can play very twiddly, and he can get extra licks and runs on the end of every line where you don't think there's room to do so, he squeezes them in. He also leaves a lot of space. A lot of these songs are structured where you've got bass and drums and vocals or take the harmony line for the verse and the guitar comes in at the end or between the lines and kind of passes the ball onto the next next line, if you if you will. Whereas a lot of guitarists that are in love with their own guitaring ability would just play straight the way through the whole thing and you'd hear nothing but this wall of, of, of guitar, which would become boring very very quickly uh so we get all that that in and it's a really nice singable chorus you you know it by the second repeat yeah decadence dance fantastic track i remember i do remember hearing this and as is you believe to think how's he does that i loved what you said about the pinch harmonics because other than those sort of flanged big chords which are part of the uh, soundscape intro the very first note is a is a squealed pinch harmonic yeah uh, and, and off he goes the thing that I really, I, I kind of learned a lot from this song because this was this was a, a very, very choice tablature book to go after because I I uh, picked up lots of bad habits and never learned to play properly with lessons when I learned. I uh, basically learned how to play from tablature books in my moderately okay year. And this one was a, oh my goodness, this is an absolute <laughs> treasure chest. Just In fact, I'd go as far as to say this song was a treasure chest sort of strim, uh, string-skipped runs, pinch harmonics, uh, the idea of using various levels of muted strings. Hmm. It's not like nobody ever chugged a power chord, but he did it to various degrees. He could manage to chug a power chord for a 30-second of a bar in between, yeah, in the middle of a lick. <laughs> As I think you've said before with regard to um, vocalists, Ian, he fits more syllables in there that is humanly <laughs> possible or even fo- possible with the laws of physics. Well, yeah, Nuno's a little bit the same with, with, with notes and runs. I guess that sort of some of the basics of how the song is, Gary plays a line, then Nuno does something on the end of it. And just on this song, and in fact, just in the verses, trying so hard to keep up with the Joneses, and he'll do that line after line, Sometimes they'll do a string slide. Sometimes they'll slide whilst fast picking. Sometimes there will be a pinch harmonic. He, he does all sorts of really, sometimes a tapped harmonic, just a pulled harmonic off the string. Without being, he, he does a little bit of something on each one. Now on the, you could look at that as being, oh, come on, he's just, you know, kind of splashing it all out there and doing one of each. 
but they all work. They all work as part of the whole. And that's the amazing thing. So you could kind of listen to this song by Extreme and learn a ton of technique in one song. And that's that's brilliant. And plus, the you you know, again, the unison, the unison bits that he does with the bass. Yeah. All that stuff, you know, you don't have that many uh, that many bands of this ilk do that kind of thing either. So you've got a very, very well written and well put together song that sounds great, a chorus to die for. And coming to what you said about the solo, straight away, as soon as you have the first few notes, do 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 it's like he hasn't just gone for hell for leather straight away. He's he has a mind to write something which is logical but stands alone as a guitar. He's writing a guitar solo yeah. well, rather ro- than just smashing out a million notes, which you could quite easily do. Sorry. Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, just, uh, ironically, the number of notes in the guitar solo are far fewer than the notes he's putting in the, the licks between lines it's i mean he's got his there's bits in it which go fast but the majority of it it's a it's a violin line you know from a concerto it's that it's a very melodic kind of thing it's not going let's see how fast i can get up and down this scale it's it's a it's a tune it's it's not just uh, running running scales and the song's all all the better for it it's this is where we're going to miss martin a lot because the drums on this i think the hat work is incredible because you've got those hits on the closing hats, especially on the verse where you've got a whoosh, whoosh, whoosh kind of uh, noise, noise, <laughs> which when you've just got the, uh, you know, the the vocal and, uh, and, and, and the drums, it's just so much color and flavor, which I think comes back to, to what we were saying about the dynamic of the band. If this was a hand metal band, that bass would be playing 16ths on the root note that you know that's that's the, the the kind of style we've talked in previous episodes about when people were floundering around and they talked about funk metal what they were really saying is oh there's a band where the bass player knows how to play a bass and so they go oh well that must be funk because because funk bass players are really good and although there are funk songs like this isn't necessarily a funk metal song this this is this is a <laughs> this is a rock song that's got some very solid very musical um, uh, parts for, for all the instruments yeah no absolutely and again just to the unison bits I was I was thinking there was, this is the only thing when you're thinking on your feet doing a podcast talking about extreme songs it's really difficult to re- to recall the specific parts because there's yeah. so much going on but the and I can't even remember the lyric over it but basically there is a, a syncopated lyric syncopated drums and a bass and guitar and it's just like all those dynamics yeah it's absolutely full but it doesn't spoil it and it doesn't make it sound like they're just doing it for the sake of it so that in itself to me is is absolutely amazing uh, and and the upshot is it has a huge amount of energy oh yeah yeah um, we'll get on to track five, but the the first four t- tracks of this song, there's there's no let up. No, no, no. It, the tracking of the album is is fascinating, and the ebb and flow is fascinating. It perhaps comes from from the the fact that they you know they think of it as a, a as a concept album, and it's not it's not like a a story. It's not like Chronicles of the Black Sword or, or what have you. Where you know you take the character onto the to the next thing. It's it's kind of thematic, but it's it's loosely a a kind of coming of age kind of thing and a, a discovery of the of the of the world and and uh, society in which the the kind of central 
character type notion uh, lives and maybe that's got something to do with or that informs the the kind of structuring of things because it is kind of you know the ebbs and flows of of life um that sounded really wanky (laughs) i know what i know what i mean uh but you know i I try and get that across it's not it's not a collection of uh, songs where they've put them together and then go no what's your order we should put these in i think tonally yeah there seems to be some something more uh, more uh, interesting at work here. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a, it's less concept, more thematic. I, yes. I think it's, it's gentle. Yes. Some clever chap on Wikipedia put quasi uh, quasi concept album, which yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of is. Kind of is. Yes. Let's move on to Little Jack Horny, the cl- the clue bin in the horn there. <laughs> as uh, this is uh, one of a couple of tracks with with some brass on, uh, which is really nice to hear. I think it's. Again, this, this is quite nicely placed on the album. You know, don't you, you're blowing a hell of a lot on the first song, so let's not blow every sort of spell we have in the spell book. Get, <laughs> some, get some brass on here, uh, which is nice to hear. I, I guess the standout for me, well, first of all, the, t- the track generally, there's a real swing to this. It's a bit more ploddy, you know. Decadence Dance does the Velocity Rock song opener bit. Uh, this is a bit more ploddy with swing and groove which is a little bit more obvious because of its pacing. Does a couple of interesting things, but I'd say that the thing that pulls my ear is there is an ob- uh, absurd muted run in the solo, which is like entirely superhuman. And you sort of listen to the rest of the song and it just gets to that and your jaw sort of hits the table. It's like, oh my God, what is this guy made of? Um, <laughs> in amongst a few uh, few absurd moments it, it, during the album, but that one particularly sticks out for me on this. And, and it, they do something really, sorry, really interesting at the end where they fade it out and fade it back in again. Yeah. And again, I, I always think of Ian when whenever there's a fade out because it's, it's one of his absolute no-nos <laughs> unless, it's, <laughs> unless it perfectly suits it. I, I want to throw this over to you as a challenge. What is, what is your view on the fade out and fade back in again? <laughs> well, the, my view on it is they fade out, then fade back in again, so they can finish it properly, and that's yeah, yeah. That's absolutely the way way to do it. It's you know, it's it's like they're they're playing with the fade as another instrument. Is the way I I see it, or you know, is the conductor. <laughs> so it's it's a production trick that I think is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Okay. Because that. also you know that they've not thought. Oh no, we can't think of an ending. <laughs> Let's fade it out. You, you you know from 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 the rest of the work that that's it's not been a, a, a kind of panic, um, get out of jail, uh, free kind of thing. I I think I like to think it was Pat Badger leaning, on the <laughs> and just gently putting it down. And the studio engineer looks at him and in a sort and gesticulates to him in a sort of all he's not lost way. It's all right, and then he just picks it and sort of pulls it back in the opposite direction at the same speed. Yeah. I, I, I mean, with a with a wink, with a wink, yeah. <laughs> and um, we should just take an aside to say, Pat Badger, what a great name for a bass player. It's 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 a rock name that Alan Partridge <laughs> came up with, I think. But yeah, yeah no, absolutely fantastic, yeah. without doubt. Great name, great bassist. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, we talk about uh, every every funk band needs that uh, rhythm section, and this band had a r- rhythm section. Which for me is that sort of idea of a bass player who doesn't just sit in the pocket and a drummer who basically doesn't overdo it, but is a complete machine with swing. It's the the fun thing for me is the whole it's the whole thing of being very very tight and in the right place, yeah. but somehow managing to swing at the same time and feeling yeah. loose, which is a is, is is black magic as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's quite a trick to pull off. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Paul Geary 
Paul Geary could do it with a plum. They had a couple of live, I'm thinking of Mike, Mike Mangini, Mangini, the, the guy who opened in the 1994 Donington video that you can see if you go on YouTube. He was an absolute, absolute monster. And it was, it, one of those times actually when sort of seeing something different was neither a positive or a negative. He added something extra. But Paul Geary, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> as a foundation stone, um, very, very solid drummer indeed for me. So it starts, you know, with the, with the concept we're, t- we're talking about, the, the kind of notional character in, in this this story, thematic story, being a bit younger here. So we're starting with a lullaby and it's it, it's an interesting di- uh, dynamic there. And then it obviously gets in, into the. I, I think from the, the funk metal label, this obviously is the one that goes, yep. That that is definitely correct, at least at least for this song. And this is, I think, this is the one that most readily puts me in mind of Living Color, Electric Boys, Dan Reed Network. And I did look it up. The Dan Reed Network album that I think, if you haven't listened to it recently, uh, check out The Heat by Dan Reed Network. It's full of stuff that sound like they belong to this album in terms of. You know, you, you could see them being on a bill together or, or, or what have you. Similar, There's some kind of similar vocal styles, obviously without the virtuoso <laughs> guitar playing, but there's a lot of solid stuff go, going on there. Yep, the horn section, absolutely. You've alluded to, to you spending a lot of time uh, in and amongst the horns. Um, anyone that's heard my Space Carnival album will know my proclivity for putting horn sections on anything I absolutely can. And it's done re- really well. It's actually... It's a horn section that suits a song. It's not a rock band saying, "Oh, oh, horns might be good. Let's throw throw some yeah. on." Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not covering the bases. It's playing no. tasteful horn parts. It's playing what I'd expect a, a yeah, good yeah. funk band horn section yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. They're absolutely in, in the right place. And yep, yeah, great vocals as well. Up tempo, funk metal, or funk rock, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. it's absolutely up there. Yeah. So moving on, uh, we stick. I'll stick with the vocals. I like again Sharon's voice. So this is when I'm president. Yes, sorry, I beg your pardon. When I'm president, Sharon's voice kind of suits that sort of rock rap thing for me. Yeah, uh, and indeed he, he starts this with a sort of rap rap over. A, I I don't know if it was intent. I don't think it was intentionally a rap per se, but I think because of the. Uh, the style being very, very much identifiable. That's that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. And comes across on sort of retro listens. And, and rap did sound a lot more like that at the back end mm-hmm. of the 80s. I, I yeah, mean, yeah. Hip hop and rap now is a lot more sophisticated and there are far more styles involved. To, to the listeners here at the back end, unless you were a big fan and you were delving deep, certainly the radio side of rap still sounded, it, it was still a, you know, here are the lyrics that fit into a common meter and, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do them in this kind of stylized spoken word kind of, kind of style. So it, it wouldn't have sounded unusual then. I think now it sounds a little bit uh, middle-aged white guy <laughs> rap, uh, poten- uh, potentially unfairly, but I mean, that's, that's just the opening salvo, you know, the, the, the kind of intro, um, whether you call it a, a verse one or a, a, a pre-versed kind of, kind of thing. And it settles down more into a kind of kind of spoken wordy, uh, rocky kind of thing after that. Well, this is one of the ones as well. But the other thing that I hate about Nuno Benko is he's a really good singer <laughs> as well. <laughs> and you get a lot of slight, I guess, if you're rapping and so on, I'm, I'm stretching a bit here, but sort of more staccato feelings 
uh, and they he sort of he does that on this album. To, uh, sorry, on this song does Gary, and you have a nice sort of mix and interplay with Nuno doing sung parts, yeah. very melodic sung parts, and that's a bit of a theme going through the album, which. Again, it, it not not only is the guy virtuosic guitar, so guitar player, good looking guy, has it strung around his groin. He can also sing, yeah, and indeed compliment. Perhaps compliment because I think again, Gary Sharon has a. I'm wanting to say, I'm kind of wanting to say a bit of a harsh style, but I don't know if that's either fair or accurate. It's just how it sort of strikes me. But again, it, that feeds into Nuno's additions being a good fit, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's a massive, a massive chorus. Yeah. In terms of a vocal line, without a doubt. The solo for this one is nice because it's kind of over a, a walking melody bass line. And it, it's one of those, it's kind of like, oh God, I don't know how to explain it's like a Brownian motion thing. It does a section with that in, and that's, you know, to the, the ear and the thought to go there. I mean, it's not, don't get me wrong, it's not like it's, somebody writing their first opera or something, but it's really, really clever stuff. And again, he, he just pulls so many different colours, flavours and currents out of the air. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to know what was spontaneous and what was worked on for ages. Yeah. That would be fascinating. I mean, neither of which would be better than the other, don't get no, me wrong. No, no. You know, not, not but, but it, it does, uh, the album as a whole, does show more hints of composing than songwriting, if we can... Make yeah, yeah. that distinction. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of musical nous going into this, which is over and above the kind of feel-led songwriting of a rock bands. You can tell they understand music, <laughs> yeah, 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 and not just rock music, but but a whole kind of um, you know classical, folk, blues, funk. You know, there's there's everything in there. If you were ever going to encapsulate anything in a, in a saying, they get it <laughs> when they put an album together. Again, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, nope. and that's fine, but I would argue that they really understand how to craft, how to craft stuff. Again, you might think it's crap, but it's certainly well-crafted. Yeah, it's... Well -crafted. Uh, and I think that's that's fine. There's not enough of people being confident to say, yeah, it's not my cup of tea, mm. which is perfectly acceptable not to like a thing, um, but you can still not like <laughs> like something and understand how much work's gone into it and, uh, you know, uh, how how good an example of its form it is, even if that form is not to your taste. Absolutely, absolutely. And another another nice thing that they do with this song, they have like a, again, no fade out, no quick stop, uh, no solo to the end or, or anything like that or go out on the drums. They have like a nice stomping groove they just drop that do with obviously some pinch pinch and, 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 and so on and so forth um but you yeah, absolutely love that it's funny i watch when i watch ah you and i have been to see muse live i think yeah. a couple of times haven't we i yeah. love it you know when they break into just a groove i i often think of you know this kind of reminds me of that and that kind of reminds me of this what you have at the end of uh when I'm president, love that. It's because it, it the song is finished, but it is still part of the song, which is a strange, yeah, strange absolutely. sort of thing. And it really shows off things like the the voicing they've got on the bass, such a nice rounded yeah, kind yeah. of um, tone, but it still punches all hell when it needs to be. Yes, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Again, I don't, in terms of stomp 
and thud and ooh, like a a four twelve cab perfectly EQ'd monster shark thing pickup N4 washburn motherfucking guitar. <laughs> he he, he defined sort of slightly redefined chug for me, chugging a guitarist. No, no. There, there is something I'll come to one of the tracks towards the end, which I still say, even though I can hear it every time I listen to this album, is absolutely freaking impossible to do. <laughs> we'll get to that, but it, it just redefined chug. And it's nice to hear a, a stomping, chuggy groove uh, at the end of a song. So, on to the single, which was Get the Funk Out. I'm afraid to say I don't know what order the singles came out in. I think this was the first one. All right, that's cool. Which possibly, in my case, means that the guy who wrote the Wikipedia article didn't know which which, <laughs> which, which order they came out in. And I am, I am aware that the uh, the internet is not uh, only Wikipedia, and I could have been slightly less lazy, but I was listening to Pinch Harmonics, and that's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, get the funk. If you if you want to open with this one, if it was the opening single, oh, this is this is a belter. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and it, it is. We are talking, and um, these um, podcasts we do are about the album. And it's interesting that Extreme, when we get onto other albums, their musicality uh, and style changed. This song is the absolute epitome of this album. It highlights everything that, so everything that people think about this album as a whole is in this this song it's it's loud it's upbeat it's 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 fun uh there's all sorts of musical licks and tricks going on throughout it it's it, it it's all in there it's got some more horns in there <laughs> as, as oh, well yes. um and they're they're doing a, a, a nice thing it's it's even lyrically buried towards the end it's got kind of callbacks to decadence dance and, and foreshadowing of um, He Man Woman Hater later on, so it's it's sticking it within within the album. So not only musically is it kind of referencing everything, but lyrically it's referencing the the rest of the album uh, as well. You're right. I, I would agree. This one epitomizes. If you could consolidate everything down into one song, it would be this song. Decadence Dance is kind of similar in a way, but Decadence Dance is more... Uh... Decadence Dance was the first single. This was the second one. And Decadence Dance is more open a rock tune, yes. whilst having lots of uh, funky credentials and so on. But this is a... I don't know. If you're going to have like a hair metal funk song, for me, this is kind of about as soluble down as you get. Yeah. Uh, this and... Um, or lips and hips, but I'm sure we'll talk about that <laughs> one day uh, down the line. Um, but yeah, Absolutely. some some fantastic stuff. Slightly less frenetic in places guitar mm-hmm. approach here. The verses have sort of uh, sort of chordal slides, now 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 and stuff like that. Um, it's the... got a snarliness about about it, which is interesting. Slightly in the delivery of the the lyrics, but also I I think those guitar parts and the tune sounds a bit <laughs> sounds a bit uh, uh, snarly and arrogant and what have you i think i think it's uh complements it perfectly and then you have that ascending sort of pre-chorus as it builds not invited to the party and in the background you're sort of yeah just going up in chords and up in chords and then um typical sort of extreme question and answer if you don't like what i'm saying get the funk out and 
plenty going on with the fingers. I, typical guitarist as well. This I haven't. This this song opens with a drum and a bass group. Yeah, you know, prior to anything, which again is something I think and it's it. the first time on the album. I think it's the only time on the album. So again, they they're, they're using. I wouldn't <laughs> tropes the wrong word. They're using a particular arrangement motif and a particular thing, and and it works really really well. Plenty of uh, sort of space there for, for for guitar pyrotechnics and so on and so forth. I one of the notes I did put. So I'm, yeah, I must have decided with myself at the, at the time when I was doing my notes. Yeah, I thought this was uh, astonishing in terms of guitar until I heard Decadence Dance, just because there's so much more put put into it. But it, it, it's astonishing in its own right, and similarly has the type of solo which is written specifically for the song. He doesn't go mad. There's some tapping in it, but it's not all the way through. It's really tasteful. But again, he goes somewhere. He plays melodic lines as well and sort of builds it to a, a bit of a crescendo. I think that's, if, if anything, that's a little bit of a, of a Nuno trope. He'll perhaps start more melodically and steadily with a melody line and then start to sort of lose himself in his own ability a little bit, but not in a negative way. He, he, he sort of pulls it off with a plum. Also, the chorus is interesting. You sort of have, uh, I don't know, you've got like the chorus line and then sort of a, which is which is actually Nuno really, with an accompanying sort of ad-lib style stuff from Gary Sharon on the on the sort of opposing track, mm. which I really, really like. So again, going back to what you said, they, they know how a craft. You've got two people who can sing and a, a lead vocalist who sort of, I think stylistically is quite aware, or I may be making that up just because I have an odd attitude towards his vocals. I don't know. It's quite possible, is that? But again, it's clever stuff, uh, well-crafted stuff. I think sometimes the song gets a bit of stick because it's, you know, get the funk out. You know, oh, grow up. Grow up. Um, we know what you, you really mean <laughs> I, kind of thing. I don't, I, I don't think that's fair. Also, it's one of those those things where you can retroactively look at that, but we're still very much in the, the PMRC kind of time, explicit lyric stickers and what have you. And the song is actually poking fun at all that that side of uh, the side of things. It's about, you know, the lyrics very, very heavily referenced. This might not be for you, but that's okay because some people like it and they're getting on with it. And it's, it's healthy if it's not your kind of thing you know go go do something else and so i think it's very easy especially when you know we've got in this day and age with all forms of, of music where you can have the most <laughs> extreme language in things that that um uh, something that's a, a, a you know a, a kind of euphemism uh, trying to smuggle in a sw <laughs> secret swear can look to be a bit cheesy but it's it's of its time and uh, and actually that's you know i i think it's actually very smart and 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 lyrically on on point yeah yeah i could i mean obviously obviously there is a play on words there but if if i could believe it of almost any song that they actually meant get the funk out it, it kind of it's well enough put together to yeah. to slightly convince me that that's the case. <laughs> um, and after all that I've said about the song, the main thing that stood out to me when I first heard it was the unison word. And that stuff's fantastic, you know? And you didn't, and you just didn't hear a lot of bands in 1990 doing that and doing that in a, with, a, with a more funky swing. But that's yeah, classic yeah, right. kind of, I mean, you know better than uh, me in this world, but that's the classic kind of 
uh, James Brown, funk soul, horn section, bass and drums yeah. playing together those kind of those kind of runs transposed to a kind of rock band format. Even though there are we've got you know bits of horns in there back, backing it up, they're not as uh, as uh, uh, as obvious as, as they are on track two. But you can really hear that the that the musicians are aware of that music and, yeah. and, and what it's doing, without a doubt. No, without a doubt. So now, <laughs> so I, I'm not going to steal your thunder because you mentioned it first. But yeah, this this song says a lot about a lot of things, and it kind of annoys me. But go on, off you go. You, you, uh, you <laughs> give it to okay. me. So we're on to track five, which is the song "More Than Words." Okay, and this was the third single released, and this was the biggest single ever for the band. And it went stratospheric. It was so radio friendly. Uh, it charted all around the world, whereas they hadn't necessarily troubled the charts in the US before. A little bit in a business in the rock chart, but not in the in the general chart. Um, they'd done okay in Europe and the UK, especially before that. Uh, but but more than words was you know number one on the US uh, 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 Billboard Billboard charts, and for quite some time as well and is, is played across the right still played today uh and it's uh it's an acoustic it's a ballad i wouldn't say it's a rock ballad it's on a rock album therefore people call it a rock ballad but it but it's absolutely not it's um a very si- uh, simple stripped down song vocals and guitar nothing else it's not even got you know the drums and bass coming in towards the end for a, for a build-up it just it just stays as a as an acoustic song in fact i think the video it starts off with the bass player <laughs> unplugging doesn't it and and the, the drummer putting his sticks down um and and they and they get get on with it now it's a bit of a, a poison chalice it's a massive song and it's not representative of the band and what what they what they do generally it's representative of their ability to write a very good song but it is a, a stripped back radio friendly inoffensive love song if you want to see it in those terms now where this becomes interesting i think in terms of the album is lots of people probably bought this album because of that song they, they'd have heard and certainly the sales after this song charted were significantly more healthy than than before it and so it'll be a pivotal song for a lot of people with on within the album for those of us that came to this album before this song suddenly became massive, it was just, oh, it's that slow song on the album. And it was a perfectly good song and it fit in there. It fit with the ebb and flow. And quite frankly, after the absolutely belting pace of the first four songs, it was nice to have a little bit of bit of a rest. But for me, this is always going to be that, yeah, that's that album track on there. And I quite like it. It's, an, it's a nice, nice song. And I think it's 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 weird that um to a lot of people this album is about is about that song i have written i it makes me angry because like there is a trope isn't there there is a trope in rock in terms of this uh, you have these kick-ass bands and um the what the one song it it's almost like you're having having to give in to the fact that more people who aren't into rock and pyrotechnics will listen to something in their car which is a ballad i mean it, mm. it's that isn't it I can think of, uh, not that they were as big as Extreme, but like Mr. Big are probably the closest next band. So you had that, they did to be with you, but 
did anybody listen to Addicted to That Rush for God's sake? It's like, it just <laughs> drives me mad. Even even sort of rock bands who do more rock-esque ballads, I'm thinking like Poison with Every Rose Has His Thorn. You know, yeah. they shot to the stratosphere when that song came out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's some sort of, but the, the difference with every rose has its thorn is it did do the dum 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 oh, it, bring the a, whole band in. It's a uh, it's a rock ballad. Don't yeah. get me wrong, as opposed to this, which isn't a rock ballad in that sense. No, you're quite right. But um, that sort of generic idea of the ballad and it's easy listening somehow, whereas Decadence Dance isn't. I mean, I don't get. I, I do get it and I don't get it. And the resentful, res- there's a resentful resistance in me that says, well, you're absolutely nuts if you weren't into this band when you heard Get the Funk Out of Decadence Dance drives me to distraction. But again, you know, other people know better. It is what it is. And more, the big, vast majority of them, I guess, thankfully for Extreme, because it's always a, always a, a little bit of a springboard to get everything else you do out there, I suppose. Well, uh, if it could fund their careers and, uh, and their pensions then you know i'm Absolutely. all for it if it keeps if it yeah, keeps yeah. them in the game i mean and i think because it is such a a, a big song and uh well known possibly for the wrong for the wrong reasons um it's uh it's difficult actually to to kind of listen to it afresh and actually critique it as a song in its own right and if you actually do dive into it it's incredibly well put together i mean we're talking uh, that I, I think the most obvious touch point for this is uh, like Simon and Garfunkel, because you've got that you know a, a, a nice uh, kind of finger style guitar going on there with the kind of ryth- rhythmic slapping uh, kind of thing, rhythmic muting of the strings, and this two part harmony, which some of it I think is is the lead singer double tracking and harmonizing with himself but i think there's some uh, some nuno on there as well but it's incredibly well done and you get this um kind of false ending which sounds so simon and garfunkel simon and Gar- simon and garfunkel that's easy for you uh, to, to my <laughs> yes um <laughs> apparently not uh, and it's a bit of a false ending and then it comes back and 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 does a, a little bit uh a little bit more. I've got, I've got the, the the sort of false ending as it ended with a whittle, which was kind of inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it's a perfectly perfectly reasonable song, which probably has been demoted in certain people's estimations by the fact that it was so universally played and ubiquitous mm. that it's. It, it, I frankly have heard this song too many times in my life and most of those times have got nothing to do with me actually putting this album on by choice it's just it, it's it's everywhere but it's it stands up it's a good song and and yeah. it was on the i don't think it was put on there to kind of hey let's let's see if we can no. do a radio friendly mm-hmm. song because it again it fits with fits with the album it's at the point in the album that demands that that story and that style yeah. of uh, that style of song yeah completely subjectively as ballads go I'm not a massive fan of the song. I don't know why. It just doesn't chime for me. As you say, very well written. Nuno and Gary sing great together. But that's the thing. I don't. I don't know that. I don't know that is a ballad. Well, I'm. I'm, I'm using a very generic term. Yeah, I, I. 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 I know what. I know what you mean. I, I understand the context you're. You're using it in, and it's. You get this thing in in rock music where the moment a, an acoustic guitar appears, and there's a slowing down of tempo. 
people say, "Oh, that's a you know that's a that's a a, a, a rock ballad," and half the time it's they're not ballads; they're just a a, a, a slower song. But this one, to, to my mind, is it's more you kind of yeah. um, coffee shop folk song, really. And the other thing is, like you said, in terms of tracking, it, it brings everything down, which is is kind of perfect, uh, perfect song, the perfect place. Don't know what else to say about it, really. I... Yeah. Yeah, my other words is just that song to me. It's it's that song, just another another piece of evidence in the trial of. Yeah, you gotta have a ballad if you want to be big, <laughs> if you want to be like universally crossover Queen's greatest hits in the in the glove compartment of every middle aged dad's car type of vibe. Um, it makes me feel a little bit like that, but I don't know. But it's it's okay. I, I probably like it slightly more. With the distance and, and the age, but um, yeah, I, yeah, you know, I listen to the rest of the album. It's like, yeah, it's. Put, I would go as far as to say, it, actually, for me, it's possibly yeah in the bottom sort of three songs in in, in a sense. Yeah. I, I I don't know, but again, massively subjective, massively subjective. So moving on, um, <laughs> I haven't got tons to say about money in God We Trust. It, this is if if anything mm-hmm. was going to feel like a little bit of a filler, it's this one. But again, in in the same way as I do on the Prince podcast, we're always saying, "Oh well, you know, it's it's um it's a bit of a filler, but only in the context of you know Prince <laughs> being a filler. Prince writing a song that's a filler would be everybody else's hit. It's kind of like it, which is very pompous and very very biased. But it, this is a filler in the context of it's still a great track and it's still got great guitar, great bass, great drums. Fits perfectly into the album, but I just I, I just couldn't pick out a ton to say about. Tend to agree. I don't think in this track itself, it's giving us anything that we've not already had access to, or we don't have access to on the rest of the al- album. And that could yeah. be to a certain extent because the rest of the album is an embarrassment of riches, <laughs> quite frankly. And actually, if you look at it in the context of a lot uh, uh, yeah. a lot of albums have 10 tracks that all sound pretty much the same it could it could just be because there's so much variety and so much going on in the rest of the album that it just it's the, it's the poor cousin really and it, it's there because it's a part of the story it's part of the point they they want to to make they're you know they're they're, they're looking at consumerism and, and and that kind of that kind of thing and you know again the character in the story is getting sidetracked by all, all this so it's in there for um, narrative uh, reasons there's some interesting bits and pieces interesting races but but yeah it's it's kind of um it's get the funk out light i think yeah i, I really don't have much to say there's nothing yeah like i said there's nothing new and i think there's a couple of tracks a little bit later on or sort of like that but there is a little little bit of difference to my ear which i'll come on to later on um but uh I'll, I'll just move on to uh <laughs> it's a monster <laughs> My, again, I'd, I've referred to the 94, the fascinating 1994 uh, Donington set from Extreme when a lot of things had changed around them. I think there was a little bit of disquiet in the band. Paul Geary had gone, although Mike Magnini mm-hmm. was kick-ass. And this was the opening track. And I've watched it many, many times. And I think it's... And I remember, you know, I was still in the sort of Extreme camp as a guitarist and somebody who liked hair metal and, and, and sort of thing which again, even though it's different, was the greater sort of melting pot in, in my sort of Venn diagram head. 
And I was kind of cheering for him, thinking, oh, well, this has got to get the crowd going because it's so kick-ass. And then they went into warheads off three sides. And, you know, you've just got this guy who's probably comfortable with the best guitarist on the on the pill. And, oh, that's actually, <laughs> actually, I don't know that for a fact at all because I can't remember who else was on the pill. But uh, he was definitely, well, he was probably in the top top one <laughs> and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, what it, just an absolutely storming opener with that sort of drum build. Oh, just amazing, amazing. But again, the, you know, the radio was going in a different direction. I think there was a tension in that performance, and, and this song was like the, at the eye of that of the storm. So I kind of always think of that with, with, when I hear this song on the album. Even that, that's kind of the if I was looking for a definition of it in my head, this is kind of the definition. Plenty of good things going on, as I say. Uh, Mike Magnini made it. It sort of suited his style as much as as Paul Geary's steady plod. This had this had tons of space for drum drum dynamics, and he absolutely killed it. It's awesome. Uh, one of my favourite things in this tune is uh, he does it. I can't remember which of the song is, and I'll get to it. So that will be in my notes as well. But he does a lovely little dead dead funky uh, hammer on groove. That little down and did a little 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 down and did a little 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 down and just before it goes into the solo. And I think in terms of something which is like overtly a little funk lick, that's just just gorgeous. A little bit, little bit of growl on it. It wasn't completely clean or anything. The other one I'm thinking of again, it'll come to me when we're, we're like later in the album is clean. But yeah, I just love that as a little little another little thing that they've added that you hadn't up until that point heard, and it was very specific. But yeah, the tool the toolbox just never <laughs> never ran out of tools. It just never ran out of tools. Yeah, I was going to say the same about that middle section, the the kind of breakdown, because it uh, it sounds to me like it uh, almost like a um, it could be the soundtrack to like a seventies uh, cop movie, <laughs> and then it dives back into uh, the undeniably extreme kind of uh, kind of sound. I, I yeah, it's a great track. I, I I love it a lot of lot of fun. And, and and again, that good gig opener. If you if we when we it's always interesting to listen. To, I mean, not that Deccan's dance wouldn't be but again you know your lead single you might want that at the end as the big crowd pleaser so this it's a monster sort of filled that that spot it was dynamic it wasn't a single but obviously you knew what it was and it just filled that that particular algorithm that you would have no. that algorithm. yeah sort of algorithm you would equation oh, no yeah. no algorithm what am i yeah. looking for what am i looking for equation the, the gig set list <laughs> equation sorry oh terribly terribly bad that that sort of gig set list equation yep. it was sort of a perfect opener so yeah, moving on to song that is indeed the name. Of the sure, end. yeah. So um, if we look at it from a narrative and um, lyrical point of view, to start with, it's uh, this is really I think where they're they're kind of the let's not say the message, let's say the theme of, of the album about um, probably the the dysfunctional view of sex and sexuality that American society had at the time, and unfortunately still has. The first thing to note about that is this is an incredibly mature, almost post millennial view of uh, of things. I can't think of a, a band of that kind of ilk that would actually have that would kind of skewer this kind of um, concept at, at around that time. I mean, it's it's full of kind of uh, lyrics that, that set up a, a kind of prudish or puritanical morals juxtaposed with, uh, oh, yeah, but, you know, if it's if it's to do with making money, we'll we'll use, you know, sex sells is is even so I think it's the last line of the song kind of whispered under, under the under the outro. 
and I think it's absolutely about that kind of yeah yeah we'll push sex as a means of consumerism and capitalism but you know don't actually start to enjoying it because <laughs> because because then that's you know that uh, offends our uh, kind of puritanical uh, tastes so I just think it's an incredibly interesting point to be writing a, a song like this and certainly there are contemporary songwriters that are, that are kind of trampling on this kind of ground and people are seeing it as as new territory and it kind of proves it's <laughs> it's just people have been uh, spotting these kind of inconsistencies for for quite quite some some time you know and it's the title track of the album and it's the thematic midpoint of the album and um you kind of narratively speaking if you're talking about this kind of thematic central character that's kind of sticking it all together this is where they're starting to get sidetracked shall we say from from the from the righteous path so that you know so that's from it as as a as a song and it's got some nice clean twangy guitar on it. i love the build from the intro you got the guitar riff on its own lovely little sort of uh, slid chuggy guitar riff very wet wet sort of sound uh nuno on his todd and then you have like a bit of a i wouldn't go as far as to say completely free form but it's quite yeah. loose you know it's it can move and then it sort of does a lovely i don't know if it's a particular time signature or a couple mm-hmm. of bars or something again i'm i'm a player not a musician but you sort of you hear that and yeah. so that, that's kind of as if it sort of stumbles into the song proper and then you just have this again one of those nonsense and you just too many bloody notes in a bar little pinch harmonics in there kind of stop nuno but really really nice i mean I don't mean that in a disparaging way absolutely fantastic the lovely way that they build it with the verses sort of halfway through the verse you get the sort of the riffing double times a little bit, fills a bit more space, builds steadily. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's just great. It, it, it really is. The, it get, towards hmm, second half of the album, I've got this thing about it. You, you sort of have, uh, I would say, they're, they're fantastic sort of stock extreme songs other than two or three. But that is so not a bad thing. It's such a good thing. But... They sort they sort of start to line up a little bit more as what you would expect. Yeah, they're sort of consistently good yeah. rather than outstanding towards the end of the album a little bit, if you like. But that in itself is fantastic. That's really I, I can't underpin enough how much that isn't a, a sort of a knock, because perhaps go back to the Prince again. This <laughs> rock bands would kill to write yeah. one of one of those four or five songs at the end of this album. I'm, I'm excluding from that. When I first kissed her, song for love and wholehearted, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it sort of goes into stock awesome, if you like stock awesome Nuno style guitar chugging rock songs, uh, and pornography is in, is indeed another one of those, and it's great. And there is another funky. Ah, this is the one with the other. There is another funky yeah. breakdown, but this time it, it goes clean rather than having a little bit of growl on it, and and it's just beautiful. I mean, it's kind of a wet. That's it. It's a yeah, it's yeah. a clean sound in terms of no distortion, but there's kind of wet effects on it all the same. And it sounds just lush. Uh, I mean, and it gets uh, another, yeah, yet another tool from the toolbox. Then the tone changes and comes down a little bit again. Uh, so this is when I first kissed you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, when I first kissed you. I must actually try and remember to say the names of the songs, otherwise, you know, people will wonder what the hell I'm doing. This is kind of... I, I absolutely love this as an... As a yeah. sort of, I think of this as, as partly interlude. Uh, but this is this is the song that I think somebody went, 
Oi, Gazza. Like, I think it'd really suit you if we did this sort of slightly well, period sound. It's kind of croony. You, you kind of swing jazz, isn't it? Smoke-filled jazz. Absolutely, it's a smoke-filled jazz tune. And I think this is oddly inspired. There's no way this fits on this album. It doesn't fit at all, yet fits perfectly. And and I think it fits perfectly because it kind of utilises Gary Chavone's voice. And Gary Chavone can sort of do that, that thing that Robbie Williams actually yeah. always wanted to do with a sort of swing croon track. I think it's actually somehow Gary is a great rock singer in a rock funk band, but in some weird way, this is, seems to be like his vocal centre to me. The obvious parallel is with The Real Thing, Faith No More album that we talked about, and The uh, edge, of, edge of the World. Yes! Um, do I yes. mean Edge of the World? Yeah. Which, which track do I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they suddenly go to a kind of a lounge act. Yeah, a, yeah. yeah. Edge know, of the world, and it's yeah. in that kind of, um, that kind of palette. It's not, it's not done for laughs in, in this, I don't, I don't think. And it, it certainly doesn't have the, uh, the, the dark edge to it. But it's, yeah, it's a change of direction. And I, I, again, I think this, this is shown off uh, Nuno's composition chops. He, and coming back to what I say is about, he just, he understands music and different types of music. And this is what he's done here is he's written a, a, a jazz song. And it's not a parody jazz song. It's not someone trying to make something sound like jazz. I mean, those they're proper diminished chords in that um, uh, piano part. And the rest of the arrangement is as you'd arrange... I mean, it might be root one jazz. I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not saying it's, you know, I don't. Ne- yeah. neither, neither of us, yeah, sweet listeners. I don't. Let us be honest. Neither of us are qualified for <laughs> jazz sounds. Hopefully, we'll, we may get contributed to that effect, but they're not here at the moment. Disgruntled jazzers tossing their berries in our direction and tossing loudly. So, so <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm aware that I'm qualifying this uh, in the sense, but it, I think they've made a good fist of it. It, you know, it's it, and it, it's 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 arranged nicely. The record scratches and pops that are on there are sound effects. You know, they're nice. Um, it, it's it's something that's been nice. probably done a little bit too much these days. So so a bit there. But you know, back in the time, we're still very much in the time when the CD was taking over. Where everyone was ditching their vinyl and moving over to, to CD. And uh, uh, which uh, again, with the production on this album as a whole, is very much a CD production. This is digital. <laughs> production it uh, uh, and everything's at, the, at those 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 kind of levels i think the only thing that i don't quite like is i think the strings are a bit synthy and i would have liked to have heard a, a a real string section in there but i mean that's a that's a <laughs> that's a minor um no i would agree yeah. with that i think they've slipped up because the piano is very very organic so subsequently when you use strings in that yep. way it doesn't quite yeah the bass is right the piano's right the voice is absolutely right the 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 drums are i don't know whether he you know found some old kind of ludwig kit and and and, and use that but it's with brushes and, and what have you but yeah the 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 synth strings let it let it down yeah no i would agree agree 100 it's it's a fascinating song to put on this album at this point but it it still works there is a sumptuous quality to it for me and it really again in in generalities no. slows things down again, which never hurts with with the sort of nitro nitro compositions going on everywhere else. But yeah, a, 
a fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, I, I, song. I think it, if I visualize the album as a as a movie and play it in my head, as I often do when I'm listening to things, I know exactly what this scene looks like, and it's a scene I've seen in lots of movies where you get this kind of noiry bit, which is you know we need the characters to be able to to connect at some point in this and i know exactly what this looks like and where it would fit in that movie yeah it's it's kind a of bit, noiry, a but, bit casablanca but, perhaps you know you, you've you've yeah. seen scenes like this in a whole bunch of not necessarily noir uh, uh movies so mm-hmm. yeah great although you know it might be a scene that that traditionally i might go up and make a cup of tea while it's on but i'm still listening to it <laughs> as, uh, as i'm in there great fascinating song great fascinating song uh Susie wants her all day what this is this is the one where I, I said that so this is where the tracking's genius so like money in god we trust i said felt like a bit of a filler you have songs that are similar yeah. in a they're very very good similar stock extreme ways i've said before so Susie and he man woman hate it to some degree are both very much that but i think they are superbly putting the right person tracked simply yeah. because they both have slightly stronger choruses than a lot of the other stock songs. And I think this, I mean, it could be absolute bullshit on my behalf and perhaps they didn't think this at all and they, they love all their songs as they should. But I just think that these re-strengthen and solidify in a sort of yeah. shoring up way because the choruses are so strong. Um, I really do. Uh, Susie's a great song. It, it's the, it, to be honest, again, a lot of stock stuff lot of stock Nuno, but it's just that chorus. It's it's an absolutely well, uh, yeah, absolutely, and and it's not a route one basically. chorus. There's there's some interesting uh, call and response stuff going in. There's interesting use of backing vocals that, that's kind of sweeping across uh, 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 things and what have you. Uh, I mean, Mike Patton could have written it. It's a blowjob song, <laughs> um, so which is you know obviously in his wheelhouse. Um, I think from a from a musical point of view, there is a there is a bit. There's a whole section towards the end um where there's a breakdown the drums disappear and it's just the guitar and bass and it's just da, 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 and it keeps going and it's longer than you think you would drop the drums out for and it mm-hmm. does not lose any of the pace yeah. or any of the um the energy and vocals come in, come in now, see these seashells on the sea, all that bit. There's no drums and they come in right at the end. And I think that's incredible to keep that yeah, pace yeah. up with Nuno using his guitar in an incredible, I mean, this is rhythm guitar work to the mat. We've talked about the kind of lead side of it, but this is the, the guitar as a rhythm instrument uh, and it's, it's absolute perfection. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and just that little little sign-off signature weirdness at the end with the one <laughs> I've written, chord. My, my notes say, weird bit at the end for no apparent reason. <laughs> Unless, unless it's a, a feed into the Bumblebee He-Man Woman Hate thing, so you got you've got this flight of the Bumblebee-esque type shenanigan. I'm bloody convinced he does. And now, having stood and watched him do this live, I'm convinced he isn't using a delay pedal for the start. I'm, I, I'm convinced he's playing all those. I'd notes. be inclined to agree. I, really I mean, the, the, there's some delay on that, but I think it's more you kind of slap back, slap back kind of thing that's that's giving a bit of width to it. I don't. I don't think he's get he's playing a note and getting four that we're hearing. It, I, I think it, it, it's all, yeah, uh, it's all in in there. 
and uh, yeah, so this is Nuno showing off another skill <laughs> in in the, the tab, and it's not one we haven't heard before. I mean, uh, we've mentioned it already, but anyone that's seen uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, the 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 kind of scene towards the end in the in the shopping yeah, mall. Yeah. Um, takes the track off the first album um what's it come uh, come and play a uh, play with me that's it and this has got a lot of that tapping kind of, i think it's, it's some beethoven in there rather than um Bizet. you know so so we've been that territory before but here it's expanded and he does more more <laughs> more of it i like the you've got you've got kind of a hat and china splash symbol going in which sometimes pokes me in the ears in a not entirely pleasant way um because it uh, parts of it, the way it's the production is affected, it's almost like it's a, a little burst of steam being let off, which I always imagine, you know, uh, <laughs> Nuno overheating as he's trying to keep playing it, and there's like steam coming out of his ears, um, <laughs> uh, you know, in some kind of cartoon. But yeah, 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 I mean, why not? Why not do that as an intro? What he's saying is Nuno sort of has <laughs> dilithium crystals, and if you push them too far, you can't change the laws of physics. Well, you can't change the laws of physics, but that brings me on to the thing I was hankering on about right at the beginning of this. It's the frigging riff. So he does Bumblebee, no women allowed. Wow, wow. There is a, a bunch of notes muted on uh, in an A string, and how the yeah. hell... He makes it sound like that is absolutely beyond me. I've tried and tried and tried. And I've got an M4. I've tried, you know, EQ in a certain way. I've tried and tried and tried to get anywhere near that sound in my own bedroom type thing. And oh my God, it's impossible. And then um, I was, as I say, I went to see Extreme at, in 2017 in Leeds. And he played it and watched him. And I listened and it sounded exactly like I always assumed um, he had a big floppy sleeve or something that was getting in the way of his strings. Because the sound is... It, it is that. And it's just so damn funky, chunky, rhythmic. No. Oh, just amazing. I just don't know how he does it. And he, yeah. blows, and he blows my mind, Ian. He blows my mind. But again, the, you know, the formula's the same. Massive, strong chorus. Works a treat. Works a treat. These these two songs feel to be per- absolutely perfectly placed, even more than the slowed yeah. down songs. So according to the production notes, Dweezil Zappa plays a lead on the intro and outro. I'm assuming it's the slightly more pentatonic type rocky bit that you've got, because there's definitely uh, too many guitars going on there for anyone to pretend it was it was one one guitarist but i i don't i don't think it's a signature part of the song um he obviously was uh, was around and uh, and did something there but it's i can't in all honesty say that i can tell which bits are are, are those because it all sounds of the same tonal palette to me yeah yeah, I, yeah. yeah. well <laughs> perhaps he's playing the riff who knows no, they don't wheelie really every time so. they play that um <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, uh, great song, and like I say, very, very strong. And again, and again, it's yeah, quite a mature kind of song about sexual politics with a kind of cynical, sneery kind of, which is again for yeah, nineteen ninety. Yeah. I mean, we maybe we talked about the maturity of some of the songwriting on the Nirvana album about you know those kind of things were were in the zeitgeist at the time, and people were getting more in tune with this kind of thing. It's just I don't think we've heard it from a band that uh, people have maybe lumped in with hair metal rock and rollers uh, before. So, you know, I th- uh, bonus points there, I think. 
I'm just thinking there's a there's a part towards the end of the song where it sort of breaks down dun, 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 and I do wonder it if could some of the I mean literally the right around that is the notes Zappa. just say Dweezil Zappa intro stroke out outro lead oh in that case then probably not that was uh, cool um so on to song for love yeah, and I don't like this at all, if I'm honest. I, can't, I can't bring myself to love it in spite of loving the album whole. It's yeah, it's solid, but it's very chintzy sugar yuck for me. I think the closest touchstone for this is Sergeant Pepper era Beatles. That's what I uh, what I hear in this, or or you know, even kind of White Album and, and beyond. You've got it's. Um, I think. When it says song for love, I don't think this is a romantic love song, you know, boy and girl, girl and girl, boy and boy, whatever. I don't think it's that kind of thing. It's more a kind of all we need is love kind of sentiment. That's the way I I read it from the lyrics. And if you look at it in that kind of direction, it does. You could imagine the Beatles singing this if they had modern production, modern instruments. I think it would, (laughs) would sound not too dissimilar. But there are some very Sergeant Pepper, peppery type kind of runs you know the kind of horn runs kind of things that they they were they were using there's a couple of points in this song where you've got that Mm -hmm. just in the background between uh, lines on 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 the verse and it just it really puts me in into that it also has a very musical theater vibe uh, to me which is no criticism coming from me (laughs) as as as, uh, as people uh, possibly no so i actually yeah I, I i don't find this this song uh, uh, uh offensive when i look at it and i see it in those kind of uh terms i'm i'm quite quite happy with it i can see i, I can see where you're coming from i again it just doesn't float my boat i like I, I put it well that's that's exactly the note i've got this is the song that the entire cast and chorus come on the finale of of the show and and all sing together and you know it's kind yeah, of weird yeah. to think about that terms. So it doesn't actually close the album. <laughs> yeah, but I can't help but think that makes me sound like a complete dick when I'm happy to have some kind of yeah, just absolutely. absolutely. Thing in the middle. It's just subjective, isn't it? It's just subjective. But the other thing that does feed into it, which we yes. cannot agree, is here's another palette that they can use. Here's another form of composition. Here's another, another flavour. Again, sequencing sits quite nicely here. Yeah, just I, it just doesn't do it for me personally. But I, I get your I, I get your logic, and I feel like a hypocrite because, yeah, I liked something else that was very very alien in a sense. I sort of like and so on, but I still give them the props for the for the ability to be very varied and have a proper yeah. songwriting, broad songwriting ability. Which brings us on to something else a little bit different. I absolutely love Wholehearted. So, yeah, so here you have a sort of um, sort of slightly uh, band unplugged busking 12 string guitar brilliant pop song. That twangy kind of ovation 12 string type type sound, which I I really like. Yes. Um, And again, uh, you know, and a bit of slide twangy over it. So you've got a bit of a country field now to do a martin on you um i'm i'm summering up my inner martin everyone's got an inner, inner martin <laughs> go for um it. here's a challenge for you imagine the chorus 
then imagine it's sung with a slightly brummy accent and tell me it doesn't sound like a wonder stuff song i have caught in my shadow written all over this now i'll be honest and part part of that is because of a video similarity there's even some kind of kind of cynical snarl in in some of the lyrics that you you could uh, you could see Miles Hunt uh, have have written. I was going to say, if you <laughs> if, if you want the predominator of uh, cynical snarl, <laughs> look no further. But yeah, yeah, smash, absolutely smashing song. You know, twelve string guitar, still it's ludicrous thing to say. Yeah. I know it's still a very Nuno played one with some very very nice string skip things, things that. Are very very difficult to actually execute uh hammer-ons pull-offs lovely i love i, I love the the whole sort of slide in the d shape and the the, the space that the 12 string yeah. natural chorus and the open 12 strings give that when they move that up and down the vocals are absolutely lovely on this du- you know dual vocals taking specific parts no no again being a perfectly complementary singer to to how how Gary sings. It, it was, and it, it was, it didn't do quite as much business as uh, more than words, but off the back of more than words, it, 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 it I think it's their second highest charting single uh, ever. So again, it kind of reinforces the view that they're yeah. a kind of acoustic ballad type of band, which, right. you know, is, it is, it is, is a shame that uh, people haven't got nah. quite the right impression of what they what they can do, but again, if it's you know, if it keeps them in it keeps them in the game, I'm I'm all for it. I mean, the other thing I, I think that the bits yeah, yeah. Uh, that you know with the slide and slightly western, you kind of think, yeah, this is kind of what Bon Jovi really wanted to write when he was doing his Young Guns soundtrack stuff. Um, it's it's got that kind of flavour to it, which you know we're we're contemporaneous. Really, there's a couple of years uh, difference, but you know we're in that kind of uh, territory. You know, this one came after, but um... now nah, great stuff. And again, question answer vocals as well. Rivers flowing to the sea. Nuno return line from Gary. Just yeah, it's just great song. Just great song. Right, and that's the theme. That's the theme. If we if we if we're edging towards closing up, that is the theme. This is a well thought out, well put together, skillfully crafted album with lots of lots of what you would expect after hearing Decadence Dance and two or three things that you wouldn't expect and just show a a depth of ability, a lack of fear, a lack of fear. Um, if you compare it to the first album. I think that's that's fair. It was it was of its time. It, it wasn't. It didn't stick out uh, in amongst a batch of albums of that ilk that came out that year. It it yeah yeah. It was one of those. You do a debut album, and it's like, well, we don't want to piss people off too much by overstretching. We want to make our uh, sort of core salient point of what we can do, and then when we've got a little bit of freedom, because somebody's thought actually there. Are, you know, give them a two album. We can do something on the second album. Uh, well. Absolutely, you know, that, that and if you, well uh, I, I know this here. podcast is about the, this album, but just to kind of place it within the context, if you then listen to the next album, uh, Three Sides, you start to hear more of the alternative stuff and the um, I don't want, I don't want to say grunge, but certainly the stuff wrapped up in, in there. I think I think some of that, especially things like Rest in Peace have got to me more in common with Pearl Jam or Jane's Addiction mm. even than they ever did with 
the hair metal stuff and it's and it's moved on and you know he yes, doesn't he's agree. done the pinch yeah. harmonics and those kind of things he doesn't overload the next album with that it's a different tone they, they're playing with a, a different um a, you know a different uh, palette and again i think that comes back to their abilities as songwriters and composers to actually to conjure up a tone and a theme and, and go with it and write to it they were on the um queen tribute Freddie, yeah, Freddie I, I think Brian May was very. Uh, I I can't remember exactly what he said, but he he, he kind of said, "Yeah, this <laughs> of the contemporary bands, the, these guys get what Queen was and and are about." Because they they did they do a medley of Queen songs, yeah, and yeah. So Brian uh, Brian May was certainly they very did. complimentary yeah, about they uh, yeah. how they uh, interpreted those. And the other the thing I'd add is again for anybody listening is do dive onto your streaming platform of choice uh, or go and buy it. But the uh, there is also the live, it's one of the anniversaries of this this album and the live full album in its entirety is out there to listen to. And, uh, you know, we've, we've shouted the praises of, a, of, of a, an amazing guitarist and indeed a very, very good band who play their own parts and do a lot of very clever unison stuff, which come from, you know, pulling from various influences. And if you go and listen to this stuff played live, it's absolutely, it's, it's, it's like perfection. I always, I always cite the cure when I listen to like a band who plays something and it sounds no. like the album, which isn't a thing you have to do. And again, it's not, neither is it an aspiration necessarily. Again, the guy I, who's my icon doesn't play stuff like the albums because all over the place, but nevertheless, it's a very, very clever thing to do. And it's there's kind of a comfort in it and a familiarity. Extreme, just smash it out of the park in the same way as the cold plane, uh, sorry, the cure pain disintegration, smash it out of the park. It's such an amazing live rendition that gets not just the basic sonics and the basic, you know, you play a million notes on this album, all those million notes are replayed mm. in the right order type thing. That the vibe, the feel, everything is so so close and so the same. Um, and I think that's massively impressive. I and they make a, an immense a, sound a, a for a four piece. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, quite often for, oh, for yes. a band to pull yeah, up yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of thing, they're, they're, they've got two guitarists because they need someone in the middle. I mean, I, we, I think we've mentioned this before about about those those kind of uh, four piece bands, which have you know one guitar, one bass, one drums, and uh, and, uh, and a vocalist, um, where when the guitarist goes off to do the solo, the kind of whole middle drops out of the, of the song because you know the, those the kind of chord frequencies yeah. are, are missing well this is absolutely written for a, a four piece and that guitar is exactly where it should be and there's no uh, i mean you've got a bit of double tracking on the album there's a bit of thing oh yeah. well there's a hung chord there that you can't be playing that and the lead at, at, at the same time although i wouldn't put him past him <laughs> quite frankly um but but live you don't lose any of that it's still yeah, as yeah. full a, a, a sound as it is like you say on on, on the album so uh, that's us just two of us ian <laughs> gob shat, we gob shat it lovely uh, just over an hour and a half so yes it, it was an interesting one as i say a lot of the podcasts i do have some great duos who are just the same two people doing the same thing over and over again and, and, and that's kind of it's cool so yeah. uh, it was uh yeah it was a pleasure to do a little duo on this and, and a good a good shout for the album it's it, i didn't see it coming to be honest um because there's plenty of things in the bag and yet to come so i i can't, I can't think of anything extra to say to, to close, close no it off unless no anything else um, you, i think you we just say about missed a bit of martin being able to tell us some stuff about the drums in a bit more detail um but uh yeah no i i 
great album. It's worth a listen, and don't be put put off because if you only think of Extreme in terms of the More Than Words single, it's not representative. Okay. Um, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Uh, good night wherever you are.